Hello. It has been more than a year since we started the podcast, and we wanted to record this special episode on the origins of the podcast. How do we meet? Why do we do it? How do we do it? So to kick us off, guys, how do we know each other? You want to start, um, Andrew? Yeah, so I guess I first met Nabil many years ago at a hackathon, randomly in work, and Actually, that was the first place I learned to play the game Pandemic, which is quite quite relevant for these days. But anyway, we had a hackathon for MRC Climb, and that's where we got to know each other, you know? And following on from that, we met at various different events over the years, different hackathons, conferences. You know, you just bump into people because it's a very small world. And also then, out of one of those hackathons, a Slack group was set up, and uh, we kept in touch. And then Lee, I think I know you from that Slack group as well. Yeah, I was very fortunate. You guys invited me as, I think, the first American on that one. So I was able to get in very early. I'm very fortunate. Well, we had some Canadians. Does that count? Okay, fine. So I wasn't the first North American, actually. But first person from from my country. I appreciate that. The token American. (laughs) Yeah, as Andrew said, that's that's how we met. And I think I met you, Lee. It was some enter-based PulseNet work, and I was trying to get in touch with the bioinformatician behind CDC who knew stuff of what was going on with the data they were submitting to the short read archive. Yep, and, and I got your email, and I think I was more or less disappointed because <laughs> I didn't know enough to help solve the problem, but we started off a good email correspondence. And then when we started the Slack board, when I was invited to the Slack board that you all started, I, I saw you on there and we were able to talk more on there. Yeah, I mean, we would, I think we had a lot of discussion backwards and forwards on some of the CGMST SNP stuff and all of that. So, yeah. And so that was, that was like several years ago and we only actually physically met last year at AVPHM. So it's been, it's been a vir- mostly virtual cyber relationship. That's random yeah. because, you know, we had a paper together, you know, in what, 2017? Yeah, so we hadn't actually met. I mean, it's, it's often that, you know, you collaborators on a paper and you don't meet, but I think we worked pretty closely, all three of us on that one. And yeah, never met Lee <laughs> at that point. <laughs> and that paper grew out of uh, just a random Slack discussion. It was a, what was it, a horse race between all the different MLST pieces of software, see which one actually works, which doesn't, you know, and kind of test them in and out. And then we all threw all of our knowledge into one little paper and then bang, a few weeks later, we had something. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. It was a great paper. Thanks for getting us together on that. In fact, I think we went so quickly that uh, the CDC clearance couldn't even keep up. Yeah, so in all of our different discussions and so on, there's often these conversations through virtually on Slack or physically at the bar or whatever, where you meet up and you talk and you have great ideas. And one of those is the MLSC paper that actually turned into something. But then there's a lot of other ideas that just sort of don't get discussed, a lot of secrets, a lot of tips. And from that, we wanted to capture that. And that's where we wanted to have a format where we could actually put all of these different ideas into something that had some permanence that other people can learn from as well as we, as we learned. And there is so much information out there, you know, you've got Reddit and BioStars and loads of different places to find information about informatics, but it's all totally distributed 
and there's so much insider knowledge that everyone just kind of assumes you know, but most of it isn't written down at all. And you just have to embed yourself within the community for quite a long time before you actually realize what's going on and what all the nuances are. So having a podcast format or something like that does really, really help. Yeah, I mean, originally, I think we wanted something written down, like a blog or a zine, like a little magazine print PDF thing. I suppose it was just a lot of effort to kind of draft something. It was too formal and it was difficult to draft something that we could uh, write up and turn around pretty quickly because things change pretty fast as well. And uh, so we, we settled on the podcast format because it at least allowed us to discuss, go backwards and forwards, have guests on and have a, a dynamic discussion. Because often at a conference, that's really where you learn the most is when you grab someone a coffee and you ask them about something and they tell you something that wasn't in the poster, that wasn't in the seminar. And that's where the penny drops and you realize, ah, that's how I do this for my work. So even before that, we had a virtual lab talk series that Lee and myself were chairing. And I was, uh, we would do it live over Zoom and then we'd take questions uh, live as well for the presenters, but we would also record it and put it onto YouTube. So that was kind of our, dipping our toes into the water for our first kind of public engagement, spreading the knowledge. But it was quite difficult to keep that up, wasn't it, Lee? Yeah, that was really fun, I gotta say. And um, we can get into that more later with our conference we did, but it was really fun. It was, we would record about two, three different talks at a time, separate them out, put them on YouTube, and we have a nice YouTube list where anybody can go back and listen to the talks now. So we got a, yeah, we did dip our toes into how to record and, and get people talking best. One interesting phrase that I got from Unibiel from this, this is just kind of an aside, is that you say meat space, and I like that phrase a lot. <laughs> yeah, meat space. Hardly any meat space interaction these days. But I, th- I think with the virtual lab talks, what proved to be from the outside looking in was part of the difficulty was it's, it's a formal seminar. So people were, trying, were always giving published results or polished talks. And part of it is, and that, that's really important that, that we disseminate that kind of knowledge, but, but then it sort of discourages the casual conversations we were having in the, in the Slack or at at meetings and so on. We are all people who love podcasts actually, even before we started this. So what podcasts kind of are influential for you guys? So for me, I really like the BBC podcast. So the curious cases of Rutherford and Fry. And then there's the Infant Monkey Cage, so kind of sciencey podcasts. But then, you know, I also like the more true crime and history as well. What about you, Lee? I think I got my, my toes wet with, with things like from NPR, like How I Built This or Planet Money. But also there are the science podcasts like Science Friday, also Food Safety Talk. And I, and I also had one that was done by a friend called The Newberry Tart, and she just talks about kids' books on there. I really like the way that, that those speakers organize their podcasts, and I, and I like the topics. I think for me, I actually don't listen to that many podcasts. I don't listen to any regularly, actually. I just listen to even to, listen to our podcast? Uh, sometimes. <laughs> and I, I have it subscribed, at least, on Spotify. 
Well, so that's good. That's, that's a good. good first step. But but I do consume a lot of I do consume a lot of content on on YouTube, which has which is and a lot of that format is basically a video version of a podcast where someone's just talking about a topic, and that was reassuring for me because that kind of showed me that no matter what you want to talk about, if you have something interesting to say, you will find an audience. Absolutely. And I think uh, one of the key points of this podcast is that we wanted to have a niche and serve a little niche because we, we don't want to do a general like microbiology podcast or general bioinformatics podcast because those things exist already. You know, we wanted to have a narrow focus, basically our, our little area and what we enjoy doing ourselves and what we would talk about if we're out after a conference or over a cup of coffee, whatever. So that was a key category we wanted to fill. Yeah, that's always the frustrating thing is that the devil is in the details. And when you try to zoom out and you talk about bioinformatics, even if you say read mapping, it's different if you're doing human versus microbe versus other organisms. And then that vagueness you have to introduce to keep it accurate then means that you don't you can't say anything definitive and then it sort of gets a bit dry but here we can really take a particular problem and tease it apart and talk in depth about something and with and that's our background of course as well i think it'd be really hard for us to field bioinformatics if we were talking about bioinformatics generally with with say what happens in human populations or something like that god that's too hard you know that's a massive genome yeah, and it's, it's like deployed, like this is, that kind of redundancy is unnecessary. And then you get into plants, my God, you know, you got wheat and it's crazy number of copies of everything. Yeah. There are other bioinformatics podcasts out there that I listen to and the topics on there, I listen to them because I don't know the topics and, and they teach me stuff like the bioinformatics chat. My hat's off to you all other people who do these other podcasts that these these other niches that I just cannot cover that we can't cover. Yeah, definitely. Bioinformatics chat is, is worth a listen. That was one that, that I put on every now and again. So how, how did we kind of prepare for our format? You guys have some thoughts on that? Well, I think we geared up for a few months beforehand, you know, we really needed to talk ourselves into it. That's true. <laughs> Lee, did you talk to anyone in the social media space? Well, I, I talked to a couple of people that I knew are podcast hosts. I ran into Ben Chapman from Food Safety Talk, for example, at the International Association for Food Protection meeting in 2018, I think. And he gave me, he was, he was more than gracious. He gave me so many tips and, and we just talked over beers and meat space. And, and he didn't even mind that I was taking notes in Slack and typing them to you guys as he was talking to me. And he just gave me so many good tips. One of the tips was, you know, just, just have an ongoing Google Docs folder or an instant message as we're talking and recording so that we have this alternate method of communication and something to read as we're going. He Which is exactly me... what we have right now. Yes. I talked to my friend Jenny Law who, who hosts the, the Newberry Tart podcast on children's books. And, and she just kind of went over their flow, how they might edit things and just kind of that space. I talked to my brother who works in social media. Hi, Jeff. And he gave me some good tips, um, some ideas for what to do. He gave me feedback on our first um, 
recording and editing, some good tips. And the boring part that I had to go through was CDC ethics. So I think for maybe half a year, maybe up to a year, I went to CDC ethics and described what I was gonna be doing. How can I clear this, make sure that I'm not saying the wrong things? What are the wrong things to do <laughs> that I need to avoid? And just, they actually codify like what the, what the ethics are and I have to sign it and my supervisor has to sign it and all that stuff. So it's in writing and I renew it every single year. But the danger is if I express something over here and, and if we didn't have the disclaimer at the end of every, every episode that these are not the opinions of CDC. And despite that, even if I went you know, overboard and, and told you things like aliens are reading our minds that... Careful now. <laughs> that, yeah, I'd have to be incredibly careful not to say the wrong things on here. So CDC ethics with a capital E really helped me prepare for that part. Oh, and I really have to thank the communications people across CDC who have helped me with this, including Alex McCanty, Brooke Aspinwall, Lucian Draper, and Brian Katzowitz. I'm sure I'm forgetting other people, but thank you so much. Yeah, I guess uh, myself and Nabil were in a smaller institute and we don't have that kind of level of uh, clearance that's required. More or less, people are just happy that we're doing any public engagement at all. And I was like, yay, great. What? So I... I've seen some things. I can't remember if it's from Sanger or from Quadrant, but there's like one episode podcasts out there that were like started and not, never finished. So I'm sure they're like more than happy that we've continued this. Absolutely. Yeah. And it always looks good on Research Fish. We, or I, I put in every single episode into Research Fish, which is for showing impact against grants. So, it, it, you know, it makes a big, long, nice, bulky list. That's amazing. Do you have any um, other things, Nabil? Oh, well, in terms of preparing for this, I just read a lot of content. I mean, Lee, you dug out a lot of articles about podcasting and there is a, a lot of material out there. Just have a look how to start up a podcast kind of thing. And and that that's where I went with it. I didn't talk to anyone in particular, but I mean, between the both of you, it seems like we had a lot of a lot of input from elsewhere anyway. And then, of course, we also recorded quite a few before we even launched. Yeah, so I think this was all Lee's idea. I don't know where you got this inspiration for this, but you came up with this idea of having a pilot episode and like a season, like a, we sort of actually went through a, a rough run through of what would an episode look like? What would the content be? What would we say? What would a season of like a set of episodes six, we picked six episodes. What would they look like? What would the content be? What would the release schedule be? You know, all of this, all of the kind of bits and bobs that you, you'd need to flesh out. We had that on paper and outlined before we started. Yeah, I got all that from the blog that you mentioned. I can't, I can't believe I forgot to mention the blog. So I, I really dug in. And once, once we decided to start off the podcast, by the way, even before we decided that for sure, like that, that was an idea that you guys brought up. And I was just like, I don't know. I went to my brother who works in social media. Um, and, and he's just like, yes, nobody's doing this kind of stuff. It's an open space. And I'm not doing this for money, right? Like we don't get any money from this, but, but he's very business oriented. And he's, he was saying things like, yes, this is, this is such an open market. And he was using business terms like market on me. And I was like, you know what, if it's an open market, then, then maybe it's just like an open place where people can learn bioinformatics tips from us. 
And I wasn't sure about that, but it turns out that that we have a we do have a good niche. So um, I'm very happy that we did this. So and of course we we don't make any money off this. Just we yes, there is zero money, zero advertisement, zero funding agency for this. But if someone wants to buy us a coffee, they can. Yeah, I'll accept a coffee. And then and then from that blog, I mean, they had all sorts of tips, like how to structure it. Like, is is your podcast going to be an interview style? Are you going to have this kind of style? And and we went through the different options, and we decided that a good back and forth between co-hosts was the right style. And and you mentioned also that we、uh, went ahead and recorded a whole season. Do you remember the first episode we recorded? Yep, it, it was a bit of a car crash, wasn't it? Yes. It was actually the FastQ episode, so we didn't release it first, but it came out. I think third was it. I think so. Yeah. And we just chose like a very dry topic, just something to as a practice that we could just throw away if we wanted to. Yeah, it was it was the throwaway episode. But we released it anyway. You know, if we'd done all the work, we might as well release it. You know. Yeah. <laughs> we, I, I promise we have improved though since then. No one really complained about the fastcue episode, except for, except that the audio quality wasn't fantastic because that was obviously the first edit we'd done, and we hadn't sussed out、uh, the best methods for recording. Just as a pro tip to anyone, you can't fix. There's very little you can fix in post if your initial audio is pretty trash. So just. Buy a decent microphone to begin with. You'll save yourself a lot of hassle. I don't know how much yours is, Lee. Mine isn't too much. It's just a basic cartoid USB thing. It was about fifty pounds. I think you got a shotgun mic for about thirty bucks or something. Oh no, not thirty bucks, but、oh. maybe maybe on the same range of fifty pounds, but in dollars. So I I think it was somewhere between fifty and a hundred dollars. And I mean, part of this is to help promote my activities, also. At the Center for Food Safety in UGA, and so I was able to get that with my adjunct membership grant from UGA from the University of Georgia, which I really appreciate. And of course, I'm on a Blue Yeti microphone, recommended by Nabil. It looks good. It is. It's great. And Andrew is showing off his microphone on the video. Clearly, this is my son's one. He got it for Christmas,、uh, so he could podcast. But I'm borrowing it. Ah. Yeah, the Yeti was was the YouTube influence because that's a YouTube streamer favorite is to use the Blue Yeti, and、uh, people will argue one way or the other whether it's any good or not. But you know, compared for the price compared to other things, but we're happy. I'm we're happy with it. I think. I mean, that one in particular was bought because it's unidirectional, so、uh, it was good for interview style meetings or when there was two, three of us in a room or something like that. It was very good, yeah, and the sound quality is amazing, and you can really hear it, you know, as time goes on, and when we have these better microphones and we have better editing techniques, that the quality has improved. I know the first few were possibly a ropey, though, some of the feedback we got, but things have gotten better, I assure you. Maybe we should just junk the first, you know, few episodes and re-record. Believe it or not, they're still they are still our best. Fairing episodes. The what software not to write is, and part two is like our best episodes, most listened to episodes, and then it's Torsten's episode, which we recorded out in the hallway by the cafe at work. So you know there were people coming and going, 
and that still people really enjoyed the content. I mean, basically, as long as your audio isn't sort of distractingly bad, you can get away with it, I think. And that was at a food safety hackathon that we had in Quadrum. So there's a good dual use of podcasting and hackathon at the same time. Once we got all this stuff together, these ideas, we got together the equipment. Andrew, how did we actually start up in digital space? So I signed up with SoundCloud and we needed a place just to host the actual files and then create an RSS feed to syndicate. And that just seemed to be the easiest way, you know, pay a few pounds and off you go for the year. And then you get an RSS feed. And from there, you can then pass that uh, URL around to different services and uh, register it with like your Spotify, Google, iTunes, all, all the rest. And it seemed to work quite straightforward. You know, it wasn't that hard, I don't think. There was a bit of reading around, finding out where you put stuff. But I think once you get into something like iTunes, then virtually every podcast app just seems to magically work and magically find the podcast. If, if people don't know, when you go to iTunes or you go to Spotify, the sound, the audio itself isn't actually on any of those services. They're just picking it up from somewhere else. And that is just through an RSS feed as Andrew's describing. And someone has to go and tell all of these different syndication services, here's an RSS feed that for podcasts that, you know, that the service needs to pay attention to. So yeah, you just go to, it's not a difficult thing. It's just a form. Um, you have to obviously have an account at each of these places and you just have a form that you fill in giving the RSS feed and then that gets picked up. I think initially we covered like quite a few of them, but even as we went on in the first run of episodes, people were saying, oh yeah, I want to listen to it, but I don't see it on app XYZ. And then it was a matter of just digging out the process of having it picked up on that service. But a lot of them do just eat whatever iTunes is distributing as well. So I think now, I think we've got pretty decent coverage across all of the major syndication services. But that is like a weird step that it was like sort of confusing how that actually works internally. You know, I actually had to read something to figure out like what is going on. I'm glad you figured all that out because that was beyond me too. And I'm not the biggest social media expert out there, but like you guys advertise pretty well on different platforms also, right? Before we started. Yeah, we got the word out. Twitter, Biostars, Reddit, Slack, Facebook, you name it. I'm sure uh, we, we hit it and also amongst our friends. And then I know my institute, uh, Quadrum, put out a blog post and a news item on it as well. So we we got a bit of, we got the word out and luckily it didn't flop. People did actually listen. And then, and then we did one more thing also. Nabil kind of got us set up on the Google Cloud for us to start storing our things. That was fairly straightforward, just a straight Google Drive folder. Doesn't have oh, to with be subfolders, with subfolders for each episode as well, you know, to keep it nice and organized. Yep. And special places to keep new ideas and, you know, snippets of other potential ideas and things like that. You do need something to keep it a bit organized. So once we had all that set up, how did we start off with the pilot in the first season? Well, we had to Google Doc with a load of random ideas. And I'm sure we haven't done half those yet. But we just 
had a big brain dump and then we started trying to expand them and sort them and see which ones we do first. And so we chose FASTQ files and the history behind those. But even though I proposed this episode, I didn't want to speak on the episode. So you won't hear my voice on it. <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that part. Also, we decided back then we decided on a two person co-host format based on that blog. And, and we were going to say that you were in the control room or something. I'd be like the overlord <laughs> in the background. The silent partner. Yeah, but I think it's much better with three of us talking. I think this is good. It's a bit of fun. Yeah, I mean, that's something for people to consider if they're making their own thing on how, how that works. Because some people just have the gift of the gab and they can just talk and they can just be a one-man show and that's fine. And other people are quite happy with with two, but I think for three it works really well for us because we tend we all have different points of views and we sort of bounce off each other uh, pretty well, and it feels more like feels more like a party, you know. No, I agree with that. Like I look forward to to hopping on a call with you guys. This is this is really fun for me actually. So this is a party. So after we had our brain dump and we had, I think it was something like 30 episodes, just ideas dumped out. We started off with six episodes, right? We had our pilot episode, but I don't know. We, we had to, to kind of package it up. So do you remember how we might've put together our first six episodes, the trailer? Like how did we come up with an idea of like a season? How, how often we would have an episode come out? Yeah, I think we fixed, we did that at the start because we weren't, sure how much effort it was going to be to put together at least for me I found that was it was quite good to to at least make a commitment of okay we're going to make six episodes and we're going to flesh these all out and see how it goes and then start releasing them after some time another benefit for that is because we pre-recorded six episodes that gave us some leeway to see how it was performing and then we could use that feedback and then start already start on a next set of episodes while those were running out. We, we sort of structured it so that we'd had the first one, you know, we did the pilot. We weren't, that was sort of irrelevant where that was going to go. We led with two strong episodes and then we had Torsten's one as like episode six as a sort of season finale. And that capped it off quite nicely. Now I think that we're quite comfortable with the format and we're able to, we sort of, you know, now that we're comfortable with the format, we don't actually do that anymore. We sort of just generate, we just generate more and more episodes and keep adding those to the, to the queue. But also we've gotten better as well. Like when we record one episode, we might actually, when we have one recording session, we might actually record two or even three episodes. And we've gotten a little bit better with timing and when to, to cut things and move on to the next. And it means that we can do a lot more content in a short amount of time. Because no one really wants to listen to a two-hour podcast of us just, you know, yammering on. I think, what, about half an hour, you know, is a, is a nice thing to aim for. Brevity is the soul of wit. Yes. I've learned a better pace of speech, actually, and not to interrupt you guys as, as often. I know I'm still not perfect. We were just like this when we started, where when you start speaking, you have a lot of ums and ahs and you speak really fast and now when if you listen to us now we talk quite differently it's sort of slow it down and 
take pauses, let the words hang in the air for a bit. It's perfectly fine. And if there's any issues at all, you know, just stop, redo the line or stop and restate what you want to say, because that'll get cleaned up in an edit or something down the line. So what people or the kind of audio that people can't work with when you're editing is when they've said something really interesting, but it's buried because they said it too fast. They've said it with a lot of other extra bits around it, extra sentences around it. And so then the message is completely incomprehensible. That's something you can't fix on the edit because everything, all the audio is intertwined. You can't pull it back, uh, pull it back, pull it apart. So I think in terms of us editing it, we learned what, how you should speak to make the editing easier. And then that sped up the process. It's sort of this feedback loop. Do you feel like you separate your ums by pauses now? Cause I do. <laughs> I definitely um less, I think. But no, but the ums are important because that's how people normally speak. So you don't need to worry about the ums. We all have our different types of ums, things like and and so and there's quite a variety. It's not just um. Yeah, I think the one the one spa- uh, gap filler sound that people make that's the most irritating for listeners is the the sort of click. <laughs> Some people like smack their lips and have a click look. Yeah, and so we did that. And that is really harsh on the ears if you're listening to it on headphones or something like that. So that's the one that I religiously cut out of any episode of, uh, for our editing because, because that hurts. That hurts me. I don't know about both of you. I haven't come across it yet, but I would. I would cut it. So to improve the audio quality, at the beginning we were, or I suppose middle of the way through, we were recording individually and recording our own tracks locally because that seemed to give much better quality than recording it over the web. But actually, I think now that we're using Zoom totally, it just seems to work a lot better and we get quite good quality out of it and we don't need to do multiple tracks anymore. Yeah, I think that we're totally comfortable with Zoom. I don't get nervous about whether or not it's going to get recorded correctly or not. It just works now. It's great. I was so nervous at the beginning of this. Do you remember I super requested, extra above and beyond requested, that, that we get an SOP for making edits on our recordings. And, and Nabil, you, you obliged me and made that, so I appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. I mean, I'm, I mean, I tinkered with Audacity before for the sound editing. That's the program we use. But I don't think either you had too much experience with it. And so we had a description of the different methods we can use to clean up and so on. And I put that into an SOP with screenshots and parameters that suggest that I could suggest. And from that, we, you know, that's how we keep the editing consistent though, as well. We needed to have a sort of manifesto of, of that information. And then of course we need to decide right now, you know, who's going to edit this episode. I'll take this one on actually. I'm okay with that. Awesome. Yeah, that's, I think that deciding who's going to edit the episode is a hot potato. <laughs> it can take quite a lot of time, I think, particularly when people say like, um, and so, and and, uh, and all these kind of things a lot, or if you need to split things and whatnot. Yeah. yeah, it depends on how much preparation we've done on the episode and how comfortable we are with the topic, because that then rolls into the recording and then that has a knock-on effect onto the edit. So 
if there's long explanations of topics and we're arming and arming and we have to cut it over and over again, then that that's also a pain to edit downstream. But you get better over time, basically. That's the take home message here. It doesn't doesn't matter. I think if I think about the first couple of times I did the edits for the first season, it was maybe it took me more than two hours per episode. And now I think I can push through it in about an hour, hour and a half. I might actually, we might actually be able to cut two episodes in an hour and a half. Wow. It takes me like three hours now still. I'm, I'm still learning, I guess. Is there like a major lesson that you learned after a year of podcasting? Invest in a decent microphone. I mean, initially do the pilot, play around with a few episodes, get a feel for the content and make sure that that's a thing you want to do. But when you're sure and you're serious, just buy a decent microphone. And spend the time finding a very quiet room to record in. Like the number of rooms we have gone to in our building to try and find something without a hum or a fan somewhere or a banging noise or I don't know, toilet flushing, whatever. You know, it's quite hard. There's very few really quiet rooms in a busy building. Yeah, you don't notice it in person, but when you play it back to yourself with headphones, you can hear this tapping or something or other, and it starts to become distracting. Mm. And then you become paranoid about it. My lesson is probably is probably make make my wife happier about kicking her out kicking her out of the cat's office for for two three hours at a time. Yeah, I agree with having a quiet space and it's tough to get that. Absolutely, yeah. And it's harder now that we're all at home as well. I mean, I've got two kids downstairs and they're not the quietest in the world. Which room are you in during the pandemic times? I've got an office, uh, a little box room, they call it in, in the UK. So it's a teeny tiny bedroom where you could fit probably one single bed and a wardrobe and that's it. Okay. In which, in which place did you decide on when you were recording at Quadrum? Was it just, was there a particular room? We have tried many, many rooms. I think uh, the best one was one of the large meeting rooms. Yeah, one of the issues is if you're in a small office space, you will get an echo from the walls, which is something you've never noticed before if you're standing in a room speaking. But when you record it, you suddenly realize, wait, there's this annoying reverb coming and it's coming from the wall. So we opted for the larger seminar rooms because at least you didn't have that echo. I mean, it doesn't help that in Quadrum they love glass and glass is a wonderful thing for reflecting sound. You did try a blanket over your head one time, didn't you? Yeah, there was a, yeah, there is, I can't remember which episode it was, but I had a towel, I had a towel over my head and the microphone. That is a decent lo-fi way of insulating if anyone ever wants to try it. That's when I knew that you were taking it the most seriously. <laughs> it worked. I mean, it definitely made an improvement, so. It did, yeah. I was talking to a pile of blanket that whole time. <laughs> it was funny, but, but very serious. Which room are you in right now, Nabil? I'm in my, it's a third bedroom, but it's much like a box. It's not attached to another bedroom, which is nice, but it's much like a box room. It could fit a single bed in a wardrobe, and that's about it. But since the mic is upgraded, I think I've gotten rid of the echo problems. Yeah. That is a very nice mic. And and I just learned that there is a word called box room in the UK. I had no idea. 
Yeah. So what they do is they squeeze in a teeny tiny room and then they say, oh, this is a three bed or a four bed instead of a two bed. Smart. So probably doesn't exist in America where everything, you know, is, is bigger and better. The re- I've learned this when I was house shopping. The requirements are you have to have a window and a closet to list a house as having that extra bedroom. Oh, they don't have a requirement like and, that here. And a door. Yeah, a door makes sense. So our house is a four bedroom, but it has a fifth room that is too small for a closet. And I imagine it's a box room the way you described it. And that's where I've recorded sometimes too. But today I'm in the basement. Yeah, basements are unheard of over here. Not very common. We're in tornado land over here in Atlanta. We have basements. Not all houses. You see, we have this thing called rain. <laughs> basements wouldn't last that long. <laughs>